When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time once again for T. Watson TR on the Bama Online Podcast, this time on a Tuesday, June the 27th, 2023. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL alongside site publisher Tim Watson. Tim, here we are about a month into the migration over to the On3 network for BamaOnline.com. Seems like a couple of days really have gone by since we've made that move. And hey, speaking of just a couple of days... Only a few more days to take advantage of that $1 special for six months at BamaOnline.com. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a big promo guy. That's probably always been, uh, you know, I guess as a businessman, I'm not one. I've always let our product speak for ourselves. But six six months for a dollar, I can't really uh, tell you there's going to be a better deal than that. We've certainly been where I think we've been worth a dollar just up to this point in June, right? Oh, gosh, a dollar a day, at least uh, in the month of June with everything that's gone down in the recruiting front. And not only that, I mean, we've been busy with team. I mean, we've yeah. got stuff popping off and uh, there's been, a, you know, there's been a lot of activity out there. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, and I've enjoyed it. I mean, I know you do, too. I mean, we've been around a long time, but some of the fresh blood and working with new people and the enthusiasm and all that. I know uh, I know it's been a really good, really good staff. No doubt. Added some juice and uh, some talent, and that's been a great thing for BamaOnline.com and, of course, more so for our subscribers who we appreciate so much. And you talk about so much stuff popping off here in the month of June, and it looks like we're going to exit the month of June with the news of Javon Quinterly, the outstanding guard for the Alabama men's basketball team, announcing that he has entered the transfer portal. JQ, of course, had considered the NBA draft. It started that process before withdrawing his name. Looked like, I think, on the surface anyway, Tim, that he would be a part of Nate Oates' team for the 2023-2024 season. Doesn't appear as if that will be the case. So your initial reaction to the news that JQ uh, would be moving on? Yeah, I mean, in the portal era, I guess nothing surprises us. But I know he kind of thought about the pros, like you said, thought about the portal also. And uh, he agreed to come back. He hadn't he told Nate Oates he was coming back and then just recently told him. I don't even think he actually – I'm not sure he talked to Nate Oates before he went into the portal. So, obviously, you know, you know, I imagine as a grad, he had grad a, um, you know, a point guard, first of all. Any kind of leader guard like that's going to be in high demand. So, but I imagine he's as a grad uh, transfer also that he had a lot of schools that were clamoring for him. You know, I mean, it's been a weird. I mean, his whole career to this point heading into 25 has been kind of you know different than than 99% of most careers. So, uh, doesn't really surprise me. Um, I do think you know Nate Oates was really good to him. I'm kind of surprised that he's leaving him, especially this late where they're kind of limited in options to fill that spot. Absolutely. And JQ, the the time at Alabama, I think you sort of touched on there, a bit of a roller coaster, right? Uh, some stretches of inconsistent play, streaky player at times, dynamic, no doubt, a human highlight film in a lot of ways. 
Uh, had the significant knee injury in the NCAA tournament a little more than a year ago against Notre Dame. Comes all the way back from that. And, you know, if there's a retrospective for this time of JQ at UA, it's that, hey, give the guy credit, right? When Alabama really needed him down the stretch of the recently completed season, that's when Javon Quinterly was really at his best. And so uh, with him moving on, and we won't get too much into circumstances or hypotheticals or potential scenarios because, look, as a grad transfer, this option was always available to Javon Quinterly. He wasn't limited by the transfer uh, portal windows that are in play for for undergrads. But uh, I think we all know, and Tim, more so than anyone I know, You've been around the basketball community from the uh, AAU, from the college, from the NBA, the pro perspective to know that stuff like this doesn't just crop up out of thin air, right? Typically between the the communication that goes on nonstop in that community, um, it, it, it's something that that been maybe coming down the pike. Yeah, I think that like I think that probably he was leaning to leaving earlier. I imagine he had a tough time telling, you know, people he's close to that he was leaving and they talked him into staying. And um, I think that, you know, whatever options he had, you know, kept letting them know they were out there and you know how that goes. And I guess, you know, at the end of the day, I'm for the athlete being happy. Um, Quinterly's 25. I really don't know of a better system. I don't know. I don't know what he can benefit by going somewhere else, I guess is what I'm saying, because Nate Oates certainly, uh, he he left a long leash on him. You know, Quinterly did basically what he wanted to. When he struggled and the fans were like, you know, bench him and all that stuff, Nate definitely never cut into his time a whole lot. So interesting. But again, he's 25 years old. You know what I mean? And speculating only. If there's an NIL deal out there for him, yeah. this is probably his best chance to get paid because I really don't think the NBA or, or a long-term NBA career is in his future. Yeah, you're thinking more I would – consider Europe, you know, or abroad. And there's obviously good opportunities in in those areas of the game. But uh, I I would, again, it's speculative, but I would, I would certainly team with you in that at his age, especially, and already having been through uh, the injury situation, uh, if there's an opportunity out there for him financially, that's going to benefit him at a, at a high level, then, then that would, that would make some sense. So when we look at where Alabama is now moving on from Javon Quinterly, there's a lot of guard types still to consider for this next team, Tim, but I would think Aaron Estrada takes on additional importance after transferring into the program. This is a guy, uh, he's had four stops and, and, and during his career on the college level, but I guess maybe more so in comparison to Latrell Wrightsell. He looks more to be an on-the-ball option than maybe Wrightsell does. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, either way, what we're looking at, unless they get a guy in the portal, it's probably going to be thin as far as pure point guards go. Um, you know, the, the league guard's not as important, I don't think, as it was when we were we were watching basketball because now you have a lot of guys that can bring it up the floor. I mean, this could be a chance for, uh, you know, maybe Sears or Ryland to get a little bit of that, you know, facilitation going and, and bringing the ball up the floor as well. But I mean, there's not really a way to look at it where it doesn't hurt. And especially again, you know, that's, again, this is the big only surprise to me is doing it this late. You know what I mean? I mean, it's mm-hmm. June, a lot of guys off the board that were on the board earlier for that positions. 
Joe Toussaint of West Virginia is in the portal, and we've seen multiple reports now uh, that indicate Toussaint has very recently been contacted by the Alabama staff. Toussaint, previously of Iowa for three seasons before moving on to West Virginia, apparently taking a look at Kansas State, Texas Tech. So we'll see how that continues to develop. And of course, that Bob Huggins situation oh, at West Virginia came to a head, Tim, and uh, that's maybe opened up some possibilities. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that. It happened so quick, and then, you know, you got to feel, I mean, that that the new coach is definitely going to be at a, you know, a big disadvantage. I, I don't know how many went in the portal. I know it just seemed like the whole team went in the portal over the next 36 hours or 48 hours. So, uh, kind of surprising. I mean, Huggins has kind of always been that guy that lived on the edge, but you know, after a DUI and to, you know, to get in that situation again at this age kind of surprises me. Yeah, it had been a rough offseason for uh, Huggy Bear. It, it, it wasn't his first uh, transgression here since the end of the season. And first and foremost, you just hope he gets the, the help he needs, um, you know, it, that, that he appears to need anyway. And so uh, it is a difficult situation. You talk about timing being everything. That was tough for West Virginia. I know a lot of folks were maybe connecting dots and thinking it was Andy Kennedy time in Morgantown. but West Virginia has decided to go the interim route. Looks like they're going to retain a couple of their key transfers that they brought in, but uh, some guys like Toussaint still out there on the market looking around. And so, Tim, again, at BamaOnline.com, you're going to find coverage of all of this as it relates to the Alabama men's basketball roster. Our Charlie Potter doing a great job of keeping us up to date with his roster tracker, uh, there at BOL, so we certainly encourage you to check that out as well. Hey, we talk about additions for 2023. How about Jameer Stevenson? We haven't talked about this guy since our last podcast, Tim. Very nice pickup for Nate Oates' program, and give us some of your initial thoughts on that addition of the 6'8 forward from North Carolina. You know, we kind of felt pretty good about him for a while, but I mean, man, that was so quiet around his recruitment. I mean, there are guys that everything's quiet, and uh, and not only was where he was going, but it was also what class is going to be in. I mean, we had a lot of had a lot of questions about a guy like that, but I mean, again, Nate Oates and them doing you know yeoman's work coming in, beating the North Carolina Tech connections to North Carolina uh, family connections, and beating North Carolina and Virginia, and getting them to reclassify. He's kind of that thin guy. I think people are going to compare him to Clowney. <clears throat> right away, but I mean, in high school, I'll be honest, I think Jaron's a more fluid guy from the outside, a little bit more comfortable creating his own shot than Noah was. And, you know, Noah would have those moments at Alabama, and I still think Noah's going to be a shooter in the NBA when all said and done. Um, or, 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 or an average plus shooter, I think, was for a guy his size. But I think Jaron's a little bit smoother and a little bit more offensive-minded, offensive-orientated, uh, especially away from the basket. A great interview from by our Joseph Hastings there at BamaOnline.com with Jameer following his decision to not only commit to Alabama, but as you said, reclassify to the class of 2023. And absolutely, you watch this guy and the comparisons to Clowney are going to be inevitable. Not quite as tall as Clowney, but some of the same attributes are there. And even in that interview with Joseph, Jameer said, 
they saw a lot of similarities, Stevenson said of himself with Noah Clowney. They said I could pretty much fill in his role and play the defense he played, be able to stretch the floor out and guard many different positions, just like Clowney. They said I can shoot the ball a little bit better, which goes back to your point, at least in this point, at this stage of his development. But the size, the length, this guy can push the ball on the break. You watch his tape, and Stevenson is throwing lobs in transition. I mean, one clip, he gets a defensive board, Tim. Looks like he takes maybe three and a half dribbles before he dunks on the other end. Yeah, he's a long, he's definitely a long guy. If you look at what Alabama's brought in in this class, too, that's kind of what they needed. I mean, they've got Sam Walters. He's a big, tall kid, but he's you know he's kind of a perimeter offensive player. You got Diabat too, who's going to be a guy that's going to be a force near the basket. Chris Parker's going to be that mid-range three-point guy. And then Jaron comes in with that length. So defensively, they've got Sam, they've got Jaron, who are going to be guys with a little bit more down low, long arms and all that stuff. Obviously need more strength. When you look at this class, it's 13th in the country. Uh, and we don't factor in, all three doesn't factor in the uh, transfers. But when you look at the, the prep guys they've got coming in, plus the two transfers, I mean, you're – you know, you're easily talking about a top 10 class and there's still Grant Nelson out there that hopefully we're going to hear something on this week who, to me, Grant Nelson takes his class and make, puts it in the top five in the country. Yeah, you're talking about a 6'11 guy. You want versatility. Uh, Grant Nelson obviously gives you that. And as you indicated, been kind of some radio silence uh, the last week or so since the expected commitment from Nelson to Alabama. So I'm guessing, Tim, still some maybe I's to be dotted and T's to be crossed in his uh, yeah. his situation. Whenever you get that that transfer, you know, situation, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that the fans never even know about. Guys that wanted to transfer to Alabama but didn't have the grades to transfer in. I'll tell you one thing, for some reason, kids who get frustrated, and not a lot of them, but enough of them for it to be a concern, they get frustrated with the school they're at, and they're like, you know, forget it, I'm leaving. Well, they just quit going to class. And then when they try to transfer, they're not actually eligible to transfer. That's happened a few times uh, for sure. So, you know, you, the, you know, and I understand that thought. I'm done here. When you're a kid, you're like, I'm done. You know, it's like, leave, you know, quitting your job in the middle of the shift. But, you know, as you're older, and, you know, that school has no reason to go, hey, you need to keep going to class so you can, so you can transfer. They're not out there. They're not out there trying to help you. But I do think this is a case of just finishing it off, seeing where he's at, getting grades in, getting grades checked off, making sure all the compliance stuff and the academic stuff is what's my understanding with him. So as soon as he gets that worked out, we'll know one way or the other. You know, I definitely think Alabama is his choice at this stage. So just trying to figure out the rest right now. And we'll get in, Yeah, we'll get into some more basketball talk as we get into the uh, roundtable mailbag, which we always enjoy. We'll do that coming up later in the program as well. Speaking of the portal, man, kind of anticipated this too, Tim, with the change of coaches at Alabama, even with the retention of Jason Jackson as an associate head coach uh, there at UA. Uh, some departures of note for Alabama baseball. Colby Shelton, the Floridian. Uh, Florida couldn't get uh, its, its run in Omaha completed before Colby Shelton had announced he was moving on to the home state Gators. Also, when you consider, again, proximity for some of these guys and where they come from, Cade Woods, right-handed reliever for Alabama, 
heading home to Louisiana to LSU. You also mix in starting pitcher Luke Holman, who has entered the portal. And five Alabama players, no fewer than five, have made their way into the transfer portal. I guess, Tim, again, when you consider proximity for some of these guys, if you're Colby Shelton and you're from Florida, I'm going to guess he came to Alabama on something much less than a full scholarship. So you got to take out of state into consideration there. Maybe he got some academic money. But the 11.7 comes into play first and foremost, doesn't it, when you consider some of these guys and then what they're able to match up money-wise in places like Florida and Louisiana that have that lottery money? Yeah, I just, I mean, again, you're not playing on an even playing field regardless. And, uh, you know, kudos to the ones that benefit from that. But Alabama is not on the same field as some of the other schools. And I'm certainly not going to blame the players. I mean, there's no way that, you know, if I can get a full ride, a whole education played for, as we know, Major League Baseball, there's no such thing as a lock. There's, and this ain't that, you know, it's not like the NBA where you know the number one player is probably most likely going to be in the NBA and be in the NBA for a while. And, you know, obviously get a big check. I mean, with baseball, guys go into rookie A and we never hear from them again. Um, Crash Durham, uh, Crash Davis got to like double <laughs> He spent like one game in, a, in the majors, so I don't blame these guys at all. Uh, but it is, you know, and I mean, it's not anybody's fault, but, you know, it's it's it, it just goes back to what you're allowed to do. You know, the lottery money and the, the scholarships and all that kind of stuff. Anything you can do to stretch your 11.7 into even 15, 18 scholarships has to be a huge advantage because, I mean, honestly, if your son is choosing and you get a free ride, or, you know, a, a partial ride. I think most of us probably would probably would want the kid to go with a free ride. And interesting that the two programs that we know of that have benefited from Alabama transfers to this point were the finalists in the recently completed College World Series out in Omaha. Boy, how about LSU on Monday night with that offensive outburst on the heels of the Gators putting a football score on the Tigers in uh, game two, either way, SEC, Tim, continues to dominate in hardball. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think one final game is what you need in that situation. You have all your – I mean, you saw the last two games were bananas. Yeah, game one was the great game. But then that, as you, I think what you're pointing to as your pitching just runs out, you get these kind of games, right? Absolutely. Game one was a championship caliber game. LSU, it was. Four to three, 11 or 12 innings. That's a that's a championship game. These other two games, they were lit. I mean, I've seen that, you know, with the kids playing travel ball. You know, you get to know pitching, and you know, Tommy, you know, who's usually your you know left fielders in there trying to throw <laughs> football. You know what I mean? You get to that level because it takes so much to get to this this final. So you have your ones or your, you know one of your top guys ready for that first one, and in a four to three game. You're kind of all in to win. You want to get up one to nothing. So you're definitely using your best pitchers that you've got probably that the non-starters. So I mean, you're kind of wearing them out. I just I just thought it was too much. Um, I just thought it was too much. I think one game championship final after a three-day rest is about what you should expect. I mean, these guys are playing baseball heading into July. College has been over a month. <laughs> and, and, and I know the accommodations are great for the teams out there. But if you make the finals and it goes all the way to a game three, you're talking about 14 days, just about, almost 14 days on the road in Omaha. College baseball game was June 26th. That's, 
well after the season's over. I thought, but I, again, that first game was amazing to watch. I thought it was fun. Great game. Yeah, fan, the other two was just you know Boo Boo Kitty. I didn't I didn't have anything for it, and it's not their fault. I mean you you know when you're out of pitching, you're out of pitching. You know what I mean? That's yep. the, that's it. So, but two dang, dang dang good baseball teams they've had. A lot of talent were out there. SEC's loaded. Tennessee had talent, and you know just looking at guys. But yeah, it's got to be defeating for Alabama to to have you know such high quality freshmen that do well and then transfer right away. So. It's a, it's a it's a tough road. There was some good news for recently hired Alabama baseball coach Rob Vaughn picked up a transfer from Rutgers over the weekend. Evan Slate, who began his college career at the University of Virginia before moving on to Rutgers, uh, hit 315 last season with 12 home runs, 14 doubles. We're talking about a career 300 hitter in Slate. So. With the departures of Tommy Seidel and Drew Williamson and expectedly maybe Andrew Pinckney, Ed Johnson, Jim Jarvis, et cetera, pretty much a new team in year one for Vaughn at Alabama. We figured that was going to be the case regardless, but boy, takes on additional effect when you start to put it all down on paper. Hey, Tim, kind of bouncing around here, but I wanted to touch too on that NBA draft and kind of, we talked about Noah Clowney and that versatility and how important that was for him. Uh, being a one-and-done, but two Alabama players taken in the first round of the 2023 NBA draft. I mean, Tim, we're talking about a stretch from 2009 to 2017 where Alabama didn't have a draft pick of any kind, either round. And now we're looking at a stretch here uh, with essentially five first-round picks or so in the last five years. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously he's putting good players on the field. I was happy for Clowney. I think he actually hit a good spot. And I also think it was interesting the Nets chose two of the three, I believe, two of the three youngest players in the NBA draft. That Whitehead kid's a month younger than Noah, who is, you know, who's very, very, very young. Both of them are 18 still. So I saw them do uh, do the uh, go the youth movement. also found it interesting that Nick Smith and Brandon Miller were reunited. So, um Pretty interesting things with some of the Bama guys, and and you're right. I mean, you've seen um, you've seen them go from like a very, I guess, very boring program to just not a lot of excitement to see guys like Colin Sexton, J.D. Davison got a lot more run in the NBA, not as a not as a starter, although he got some starter minutes. But he we had a lot. He had a lot more run in the NBA than I think some expected. Um, Herb Jones is a rising star. I still wait for Kyra. Um, to kind of break out of there, you know, I mean, this is his probably his good chance for him to be a lead guard if he's going to do it this year for the Pelicans. So, but they they they're putting guys in the NBA, and people are noticing. I mean, people are talking about it. Speaking of the Pelicans, man, that's your team, as we know in the NBA. Uh, what's going on with Zion down there? I mean, come on. I mean, the thing is, like, it's bananas. It's bananas. <laughs> I mean, how do you have a compensation relationship with a female and her demand monogamy. I've never quite heard. Yeah. You know, that's, I've never, I mean, she made it obvious that he was taking care of her financially and she demanded monogamy. I've never quite. Well, that's the, you know, that's the other side of this one and done and, you know, young guys that don't have real world experience, right? Venturing out. Into the wild, essentially. I think the fact that uh, I mean it was amazing. I mean I know she's the 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 
lady suspended on uh, Twitter, but she definitely milked it. It almost looked like a shake. Oh, yeah. They were definitely hooking up. But, but Zion's such an easy mark is, is, is what we're seeing, too. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't Young know. guy, doesn't, you know, lived in a vacuum probably for 20 oh, years. Absolutely, yeah. And you know what's, I mean, obviously Zion just slings his money around. We got Herb over there wearing his high school shoes, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Driving a, driving a Mazda 626. Driving his 16-year-old birthday car, so it could be much of a contrast. I'll tell you this. I don't know with, with Zion. I'm frustrated probably as any Pelican fan is. I want to see him because, I mean, I'm an NBA guy. You know that. I want to see great players play, and he has the potential to be great when he does play. But, I mean, man, that off-the-field stuff was a mess, and uh, the rumors are a mess. It's a constant problem. Now, I will tell you this. I was a big-time mess-up until I got married and had a kid. I don't sure. know about other people, but I was like – Me you know, too. I wasn't go to prison messed up. But I was like, you know, not very responsible and all that stuff. And the wife definitely brought it in. And my first son, Bryson, definitely changed everything for me. So so Zion is having a, a child. So maybe that's a chance to like be more mature. I mean, this is the, you know, this, you know, when you're famous, everything you do goes on record, you know, they never forget it. So maybe that's the turning factor, but obviously the guy, uh, and you know, there are all those rumors too, that they were trading him for, you know, the second pick to draft Scoot Henderson. And then there was absolutely reports that there was no – they never reached out to try to move Zion at all. So I guess the Pelicans are all in. Anyways, a very odd situation on a random night in the middle of June. I just look up and, you know, that – There that, it is. That lady was just gone. She suspended. I guess she threatened uh, mm. kind of sex tape or something. But Oh, jeez. Again, banana. That's my new word, bananas. Bananas. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, it was crazy, too, as we talked about earlier, the month of June for Alabama recruiting, not just uh, for football, but certainly basketball as well. But from the football perspective, with all of the action, with all of the camps, with all of the official visits, uh, it seems as if the table is set now for some upcoming announcements. Is there one or two of those, perhaps, that we know about? Maybe not even just 2024s, but a 2025 or so uh, that that you're you're keeping especially close eye on right now. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm really. I think this. You know, I think in general, just speaking in general, you have guys that that they take all these visits. So the time frames change from you know when we started this business. They take all these summer visits, and um, and then once they do, they're able to take July, relax a little bit, come up with the decision, and get this ahead of them get this decision behind them before they um before they start their high school year now they used to happen and but they hadn't taken any visits which caused especially official official visit which caused the problem i know that michael uni from texas he's going to be an interesting one to watch right now because he went to michigan's a big offensive tackle he went to michigan took an official visit and all the talk was michigan and then right after, I mean, and I'm talking, he took three official visits between um, 6.16 and 6.23. So 6.16 to 6.25. In 10 days, less than 10 days or less, he took official visits to Michigan, Alabama, and then Georgia. He'd had Clemson a few weeks earlier. So left Michigan. There's a lot of talk about Michigan. When he left Alabama, me and Andrew Bone, we dug in. And Alabama, it seemed like Alabama was trending. And now he's leaving Georgia. 
and there's a lot of Georgia talk that he's trending. So it could be a case of a guy confused. He's set to announce sometime this week. I would guess, and I've had two two sources tell us that we don't we don't think this one's over even when he commits. I mean, and again, I mean, three officials in in <laughs> three officials in ten days. I mean, that's that's a lot happening as far as the underclassman Jamie French, a uh, Florida from uh, a Florida wide receiver from your hometown, Jacksonville. You can go see him. If he goes to Alabama, uh, Jamie French from Mandarin 2025. He's a guy that's got a date set for July that we're watching closely. Feel like Bama's in pretty good shape like there. Um, but I think a lot of these guys are in the process of setting up their, their commitments. We're hearing a lot more that they could be closing in on some stuff. So uh, we're keeping a close watch out for Isaiah Faga, the big defensive lineman who's committed to Utah. Big Samoan looking. I think he's Samoan. I know I think they said he at least had some Samoan in, but he has that build, that six foot two, that big wide build, that wide body, close knit family, love Nick Saban, um, have a good relationship with Freddie Roach, Kevin Steele. So he's a guy that visited Alabama and then Texas has been full push and there's been other schools sort of, I think his name got out a little late, but um, you know, he's a guy we're watching as a possible flip. We had predictions for him this Sunday me, Andrew Bone, and Joseph Hastings based on some intel we heard. Uh, as to when he actually does it, you never know. I mean, you know how this, you know how the, the, the timing goes for these things. Yeah, it is. You mentioned French from Mandarin High School in Northeast Florida, the last Mandarin player to commit to Alabama, Carson Beck, now of Georgia, a couple of years ago, the quarterback. So Alabama with some history there at uh, Mandarin High School and uh, certainly in Northeast Florida. So we'll see how that one goes. And, um, you know, you talk about this class and how it's still coming together. Boy, just the safety position once again, after getting Caleb Downs for the 2023 cycle, another Buford standout, I guess. And, and KJ Bolden, I know Andrew Bone there with us on the website, BamaOnline.com. Great, great in-depth interview with KJ Bolden. Uh, and Peyton Wood Woodyard, right, uh, from Southern California, another safety in that mix. Yeah, that's no, both of those guys are interesting. We had good views between Andrew and, and Joseph. We had some good nuggets on both of those guys this week. Um, Woodward's, Woodward's going to be interesting. I mean, committed to Georgia. I think there's some Alabama factors there close to him that could help out. Um, and, again, you get these guys, you know, these the, you know, the, it's hard to – Hard, but, you know, these guys are in the toughest position. Again, going back to you and I mean, how many neutral people from Texas would go to Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan and not just be blown away, you know, in, in June, where the weather's not too hot, it's not actually killing you, and that. So these guys get a lot of pressure. I mean, it's a lot of it self-applied just because the decisions are so tough. But Alabama's did a really good job of setting the table, which isn't surprising. June, they're huge. They're huge on, you know, the camps, which set the thing. Plus, you know, one thing about this class, when you look at this class, and it, it's a low number, it's only eight. But would you look when you look at the quality of it, Jalen Mibakwe, uh, Julian Say, and Perry Thompson, Jeremiah Beam, Sterling, it's all the way down to Caden Jones. Rico Scott is a seventh-ranked commitment in this class. And if you watch his film, he's a heck of a football player. So they've got eight commitments, but it's a pretty high standard as far as what they want and what they targeted. So setting up the dominoes, well, I guess that's probably a bad one. We don't want to. I'll never oh, forget. the I'll two never, Oh, man, the domino year. I'll never forget that. That caused us. <laughs> you know, everybody was coming back, too, and everybody. But, um, 
yeah, this class is set up really nicely. The visits have went good. Uh, they brought them in. All the feedback has been uh, good from their top targets. So you know they they put their best foot put uh, best foot forward as you would expect. And the potential for reclassification now, no one specifically, but you have to take that almost into account. It seems like these days, Tim, more and more guys are moving up, uh, whether it's basketball, football. So uh, that's always something to keep an eye on as well, I guess. Yeah, I don't understand. I still don't get how you can just decide. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. How can you just move up class? We saw a, we saw a quarterback last week go from 25. Two classes up. I mean, seriously. At seriously. a 5.87 GPA, apparently. Yeah. Now, now, when I looked into that, I you could have multiplied my high school GPA times two, and I wouldn't have had that kid's GPA. No, I could have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and added them together. Yeah, 2.8 times two, and I've still been short. Oh, yeah. That, that was banana, but <laughs> yeah, that one uh, that one was interesting. Florida was heavily involved. He was committed to Florida. Yeah. And then flips to Ole Miss, so obviously. Uh, but, yeah, you factor that in with guys having options, you know, and I'm not even going to think about saying – the kid's name, but we covered the guy that got the Alabama offer this week from Canada. You want to give that, uh, that name a try. I know Steve is the first name. <laughs> you know? I, I'm, I'm going to leave that one to you, Tim. I, 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 I really, can't help you. Well, Steve from Canada visited Steve Alabama. Steve from Canada. I don't know what, I mean, seriously, it's one of the hardest. I got names. you. Yeah, I hear you. Steve Pierre Bolo Mbawi is my yeah. name. Yeah, you got it. There you go. I have no idea. I'm just calling him Steve because I definitely know how to say that. But Steve is a monster-looking guy. We saw some video highlights of, and um, uh, we saw some video highlights of. He camped at Bama, ended up getting an offer this week, and uh, it's just a you know a, a guy. You know, then when we talk to his people, they say, "Well, he's 24 or 25." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "The world's changed. We're going to have to fix that database." So. Uh, obviously, it's good to have those options, though, especially um, when you're looking at having, you know, you know, especially for quarterback when you think about it, because sometimes a school's only taking one. So if you can drop back or drop forward, you know, I think that helps them a lot get into that, be that one quarterback in that class. But there is a lot of great flexibility somehow. I'm not sure how it's working, but I think it's a good idea to have that if you can. Hey, as we get into July here. Uh, time to start thinking ahead towards the start of fall camp for the 2023 Alabama Crimson Tide. With that, Tim, I wanted to get into five positions of strength for this Alabama football team as we look ahead to August. Uh, I've got five areas in mind. I'll run them out there, and then we'll get a little more in-depth, and then you you give me some feedback on maybe you have a, a difference of opinion on one or more of these five, but just in general, and I'm going to go ahead and say that we're going to look at position groups uh, in, in totality. We're not just going to say offensive tackle, offensive guard, center. We're going to say offensive line. We're not going to say inside linebacker or outside linebacker. We'll just say linebacker, secondary, corners and DB, uh, corners and safeties. So with that, I got offensive line, running back, linebacker, wide receiver, and defensive line as my five. What do you? Where do you think of those? Yeah, I like them all. I mean, for me, I keep jumping out. I don't know why, because there's not like a main guy yet. I still love the wide receiver room, um, mm -hmm. offensive line room. I love what you're hearing. 
Um, I mean, I love what you're hearing and seeing. I think the linebacker – did you mention the linebacker group? Yeah, I got them in the five. Okay, yeah, that's a group I would I – th- I think we're basically looking at the same five then. I do think the linebackers might be a little bit of a slept-on group, and I understand why, because there's some uncertainty. We haven't seen – a. Uh, we know what Deontay Lawson is, but we haven't seen a Tresman Marshall. We haven't seen Jahad Campbell this year, who looks fantastic. Sean Murphy, some of those guys, Justin Jefferson. So there's some uncertainty. Kendrick Blackshire physically is the guy we expect to play. But I do think out of that group, that five, if you're looking for like a surprise sleeper upside group, I do think the linebackers could be it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just in terms of sheer talent, again, Considering the outside linebackers and the inside linebackers together, I mean, you're talking about Dallas Turner, you're talking about Chris Braswell, uh, you're talking about some veteran role players, perhaps, and Q Robinson, maybe a guy like Keanu Coot comes on, but you're still bringing in Keon, or you just brought in Keon Keeley, you just brought in Yonzi Pierre. Uh, then at the inside position with Deontay and Justin Jefferson coming in via the JUCO ranks and uh, a veteran presence and Trez Marshall coming in from Georgia. I just, I agree. Uh, I think the the X factor between those two spots will be, is that next guy inside ready to not only become a full-time contributor at the position in terms of statistical production, but Tim running the show where Henry Toa Toa had so much value to Nick Saban and Pete Golding in those previous defenses, making sure you're aligned correctly, making checks, and then at the snap of the football, being able to play at a high level. It's it's not as easy as it sounds. No, not at all. I mean, you've seen guys like probably not as physically gifted. Trader Priest jumps to mind, and some guys, people were wondering why they played. That's a lot of times because they knew that system. And you, like you said, they're the caller. They're, they're getting them, everybody lined up, getting them in the place they need to be. Um, and that's one of the things I've always thought that made Rolando McLean just – I mean, I think you can make a t- case he's the best Alabama player ever. Um, I mean, the problem for us is the further we get from some of those guys, the more – because there's so many recent, it's hard to remember effectively some of those guys. But Rolando was like – I mean, I'm not sure I've ever seen a better inside linebacker than Rolando McLean. Rolando was that perfect combination of a guy that was smarter than you in terms of understanding the defense and then being able to take it to the field and play. Uh, and he also was the guy you were scared of. <laughs> so that's yeah. the rare. That's usually you're not afraid of the guy that's maybe got it a little more upstairs than you do. Right. Yeah. And he always walked that thin edge, even from high school, you know, because um, I will say he's turned, you know, a lot of those guys go over the line. You read they're in a fight in Vegas, Vegas and beat up two bodyguards or something, but security guards. But Rolo's kind of walked that thin line. I mean, those NFL career didn't work out the way he wanted to, but I'm always going to stick with that was that's a Oakland is a tough. The Raiders are a tough spot for a rookie for anybody. And I think they probably got the highest bus rate. Um, there's something about those colors. I think there's something about that, that. It's almost like joining the gang, isn't it? When you get drafted by the Raiders, you come with that 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 uh, black and silver, and those fans are just unbelievable, going all the way. The reputation I've read several books on the Raiders, but yeah, in college, high IQ on football, IQ, um, everything that he did, um, the way he was fluid, his size was he a top ten pick? Michael Parsons wasn't even a top ten pick. Yeah, he, he was, and he timed it out perfect. 
unwittingly because that next collective bargaining agreement that went into effect was the one that seriously shrunk the salaries and bonuses of of draft picks. Uh, that was Rolando was in that era where guys in the eighth spot were getting 50 million right out of college or something, you know, but that next C, uh collective bargaining CBA came in and uh, it, it hadn't been that kind of money for draft picks ever since. And for an inside backer, eight is absurdly high, especially the NFL, yeah. which doesn't, you know, those edge guys um, uh, uh, like Michael Parsons who get on the edge and get to the quarterback, they, you'll see them go up there, but not many he's going that high. And if you go back and watch his old film, which I did uh, last summer, I went and watched a couple of games. He really was a facilitator for everything on that defense. Yeah, and a big dude, too. I mean, this yeah, guy was 240-plus and could run. Yeah. Well, I remember going out there. I went to his high school to see him play at Decatur. They had Gerard Powers. Gerard Powers. You remember him, DB? Oh, yeah, went to Auburn. Yeah, yeah he played in the NFL as well. And they had uh, uh, Sam Bernthal. But I went out there to see Powers. And I'd heard about Rolando this going into his sophomore year. They told me about him. You know, back then I was dealing with a you know blind spot. We didn't have Huddle. And that's why I was at so many schools and seeing him with, you know, eyeballing them. Um, Film wasn't easy to get, but I went out there to see Powers. The coach told me he was fantastic, but, you know, again, if I had a dime for every coach that told me his players would be in the NFL, I would I would I'd still be doing this, but I'd have a lot more money. But he, uh, <laughs> when I went out there, it was like, like I didn't even need to say which one is he. I just saw who he was, and he was just a monster. And uh, then when I went out there, he turned it up a little bit, you know, you know how stars are showing off a little bit to – make sure I saw how good he was. And the coach had to tell him to calm down, yeah. <laughs> calm down twice. We got a seat coach. We got a season to play. You know, Loves he, basketball too. Roe does. Yes. Very good basketball player. He was just a different breed. Powers is really good football player. And, um, um, ended up playing for the Colts, I believe. For yeah. Powers a good, really good player at Auburn. And you're right. Nice NFL career. Yeah. yeah. Sam Bernthal signed with Alabama. Yep. Yeah, Sam was a safety, as I recall, during his uh, his time at Alabama. What about this offensive line for, for Alabama? You talked about it. There's a lot of positive buzz, a lot of optimism. Uh, it just seems like the X factor, Tim, is going to be that one tackle spot, right? Yeah, I think you just figured out. They had to see something they liked in um, Pritchett. So our main view has been that uh, that spring game. So they had to see something they liked to put in there. So I imagine that they picked out, you know, helped him with the areas he needed to work, and he still has a chance to go there. But I do think that Proctor, it's really going to be hard to keep Proctor off the field at some point to some degree. So there is some flexibility, you know, just because you're not really good at left. I know it doesn't mean that Pritchard might not be good, you know, not might not be able to play right, just flip him and Latham. Or, again, you know, Proctor jumping in left. Or Proctor jumping right, Latham going to left. So that X factor, that's definitely the best way to put it, the X factor. But I do feel they're in the going in the right direction for what they want to do with Wolf. I think running the ball and being power and aggressive offensive lineman is kind of what they want to do. And especially going in with the, you know, obviously Nick Saban's offense, but the Tommy Reese touch to that with a lot of running, with a lot of quarterback running, with a lot of quick passes to the tight end. I think it's going to be a pretty good matchup. Yeah, I go back to the spring game, as you mentioned, and watching Caden Proctor again. He went wire to wire in that scrimmage. Didn't give up a sack or a quarterback pressure. And I understand 
he was working with the second team offense, so he was going against the second team defense. But, you know, with Pritchett, he was struggling against second team guys, too, because yeah. Dallas Turner wasn't in that scrimmage. Chris Braswell wasn't in that scrimmage. So absolutely, you would think the door is still very much ajar for Caden Proctor going into his freshman season at Alabama. You talked about the running backs, Tim. I think look at this group. I start to think about 2016 to 2018, you know, Josh Jacobs, Bo Scarborough, Damian Harris, Najee Harris, um, you know, those kind of guys that Alabama had during that three-year run. Uh, when you consider what Alabama has right now at the position, does does it kind of bring that stretch to mind for you too? It does. I mean, when you're looking at like, when you know, when people are discussing the running back position and, and forgetting to mention a, a Richard Young and Roy Dale, you know, that's that's a really good thing. I mean, that tells you how much depth you got. I think most people have Jace penciled in as the as the early starter. Justice definitely going to get some carries. And people also, especially me and you talk about Jam Miller, but when you're not talking about Richard Young as much and Roy Dale Williams, I mean, that tells you the depth they have. Um, and these are NFL caliber running backs. I believe Roy Dale's going to get a shot in the NFL as well. Um, still waiting to see him put the whole thing together. Um, hopefully that's this year, but definitely the good news is there's a lot of push there. There's a lot of competition. So there's no, I won't pick up the block. You know, that's always, you know, quarterback, what do they say? Making a a decision about his future. Some people say that business decision. Yeah. Would they absolutely put uh, a play on tape to make somebody not want to draft him? That's, uh, but anyways, I think when you have that, you know, you're going to have to do all the small things as well as the big things. Absolutely. And you got that veteran leadership there at the top with Jace and Roy Dell and a couple guys that have been through some stuff, man, with those knee injuries from a couple of seasons ago. But you look at them now and it seems like they are fully confident, uh, aggressive. I thought Roy Dell in the 8A game was very impressive in his decisiveness and his um, and his physicality, uh, able to pick up yards after contact. And as we expect this to be more of a Physical approach to offensive football, that's going to be important. And a big part of that, as you outlined, uh, blocking, pass protection, um, not only a willingness to put your face in the fan, but the ability to to get it done on a consistent basis. Maybe one area of this team that might surprise some that I have as a strength, although it probably shouldn't, is the defensive line. Because when I look at the end and nose tackle positions together, Tim, uh, there's a lot of capable guys now in terms of proven production where tackles for loss and sacks are concerned that's where uh, there's the drop off but boy Jaheim Otis on the nose uh, a guy like Justin Aboyg be back for a fifth year at defensive end and um, some young players some veterans like Tim Smith that's still in that mix too I I think it's a deep group of talented options just need to see it uh, play out that way on the field yeah I agree with you I mean you see for me personally, you know, again, I'm going back to me being a newcomer. I like the freshmen. I like the transfers. I like that. There's a lot on this team, and I know that's probably not the ideal situation to be checking out the freshmen, but I like the mixture of older guys and younger guys. The biggest thing I will say about this team, I feel, and I think you'll agree, is like every – I feel like there's competition at every position, right? Tight end, you got guys that are going to push you. Wide receiver, you do offensive line quarterbacks. And that's the only way to get better. We've always referred back to that year where Alabama didn't have anybody pushing each other. So when you see guys like Trez, again, Tresman Marshall could be a huge 
him, Jefferson, and Malik Benson could be massive impact guys on whether Alabama goes 11-1 in the regular season or 10-2 or makes it to the SEC championship game. It only takes a few of those guys to come in and be impact starters, even impact second-team guys for you you know, to make a difference on a team. And at this level or SEC, the depth is so important because of the, you know, the how rough the schedule is. Yeah, I think uh, I think Justin Aboibe is going to have a big year, and I'm certainly hoping that's the case anyway. After what he went through last season with the neck injury and the scare of maybe his career football career being over, uh, he's back. He had done some really nice things early on in the 2022 season. I know Jimmy Stein of our staff recently there on the roundtable had a most underrated or under the radar player going into 2023 and uh on defense for me it's a boyd beat i think he can have that kind of year because i think he can span the different packages that alabama employs whether it's base nickel uh dime pass rush situations uh, i hope that's the case for justin a boyd in his fifth year and then on offense my pick for kind of the under radar player and you kind of talked about the wide receivers a little bit there uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, and that's that's my fifth position of strength. I know you talked about it a few minutes ago about how how you think that's certainly going to be the case at that position, even though we haven't seen it as much. Although, you know, Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks, they weren't bad in 2022. Uh, but Alabama just didn't have that 1,200-yard kind of guy that we've grown accustomed to seeing either. Yeah, we've been extremely spoiled with the you know wide receiver one in Alabama. Um, even wide receiver two is usually pretty damn good. You know what I mean? So yeah, when you don't have that guy, but they have potential to step up. I mean, I'm not <clears throat> when you say that people start looking at you funny or they want to argue. I'm not saying any of these guys are Jerry Judy or anything like that. I'm just saying that those guys were so special. Even Jameson Williams with his speed and the big – some of those guys were so special, it's just going to hard to ever be a, find another guy like that. But I am saying there are guys capable of being Mechie, Norwoods, and impact guys faster, more explosive version of Norwood. Um, and that's kind of what this team needs. I don't think really it's built to have the right outs. You know what I mean? I don't think it's necessarily built to have Judy Ruggs and uh, – um, all those Waddle and all those guys in that class, Smitty. I don't know. I don't know if it's built for that. I think they're built for possession. I think they're built for surprise deep ball. You know, I think that's what this team is built on. I agree. Uh, I think that's something, as we know, Nick Saban has always been ahead of the curve when it comes to taking the talent the that you have and, and adapting, uh, sculpting, if you will. Uh, your offensive, defensive, maybe even special teams approaches uh, to the personnel that that benefits you the most right now. And uh, I would definitely agree with that when it comes to this Alabama team. So there you go. Those are the five areas of strength as we see it for Alabama football as we head into the month of July. Tim, we're going to get into the mailbag coming up in just a little bit, but we've had some, we've had some of our favorite shows drop some new episodes, some new seasons here of late. I know we both share an affinity for the Righteous Gemstones on Max, as it's known now. Uh, we're three episodes into season three of the Gemstones, and uh, I've been pretty pleased with it. You know, it's a, it's a high bar to reach given the previous two seasons, but first three episodes so far have been pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, it's so consistent. I mean, it's funny, like, when I talk people into trying it, and I really dislike anyone listening to this who they know that I know um, who only watch a show when it's absolutely at the height of popularity. They will not try it before it's, like, super popular. I've got several friends that way. They have to wait to see at what level the Rotten Tomato is given, um, which still irritates me. Righteous Gemstone has been that way because now they're watching the season one, and this has all happened this month, probably a handful of my friends who are finally watching the first episode and dying. Um, absolutely, the originality of the show and the way it takes, and there's so many characters. I mean, you, know, you got the main guys. John Goodman. <laughs> John Goodman's a great straight guy dealing with those kids, you know, the worst kids in the world. So, um, it's funny, you know, to me, it's funny how the kids are always cussing. Judy's obviously taking over the show, but the cast, the, the supporting cast, and the, even the plot is, I don't know how they consistently do it, because <laughs> it's such an original show, and they keep having to come up with original ideas. I'd love to sit in on their writers' meetings when they come up with this stuff, and I agree, Judy Lee is is the star of the show now. She's uh, Edie Patterson is the actor that that plays Judy Lee, and it's just tremendous. It's outstanding. Um, always a, a you know just uh, bombastic in a lot of ways. The way I would describe uh, Righteous Gemstones, and you know I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I, I started out as a big Uncle Baby Billy fan. I don't know how you couldn't be of Walt Goggins' character okay. in this show, but. I'm with you, man. It's become more about Judy Lee, and I'm good with it. I, I, I love it. What I would like to see, I'd like to see the bloopers and the what's improv with these guys. Because, I mean, you got Danny McBride, who has a, been a scene stealer his whole career, right? Right. You got Adam Devine, who's a scene stealer his whole career. And then now uh, you had Edie Patterson in there. And then you got low-key guys. Like, I'm telling you, is there a better character than BJ? No, no. Hey, going back to draft night, and I'll send you this. I had a guy, some of my friends sent me the gift. Uh, Remember when he's dressed up in that pink suit, that suit? Yeah, Judy Lee had him in his uh, his suit. Yeah, they were sending me that picture along with Grady Dix. It it was pretty close, yeah. They looked just like each other. It literally (laughs) looked like BJ at his high school prom. But BJ's a crazy character, and the, the guys, you know, surrounding you know, Kelvin Adams, Adam, uh, Devon's character. Oh uh, gosh. Just a rig- it's just Yeah. The out, the outback scene in season one with Judy Lee and BJ is, is unlike anything I've probably ever seen on television. No, it's great. And you know, the scene that just kills me is when they caught baby Billy in the parking lot, <laughs> selling stuff out of the pink. <laughs> that, that Alexa, he was selling his Alexa. But my dude is selling his elixir. Dragging a U-Haul behind his little convertible, convertible Beamer. Yeah, his little convertible sports car. Then trying to pretend he's invisible. Yeah, so if anybody's looking for a show that you don't have to like, sometimes I like a show just to be a show. I don't yeah. want to analyze it. Well, that's definitely what this is for me. Uh, the wife and I also, in the last couple of days, have binged uh, season two of The Bear, uh, the, the show that's based on the Italian beef store in chicago right there on orleans mr beef is the actual name of the store that's there we were able to get uh, get a couple of those not too long ago uh up there in chicago but season two man i'll tell you what if you like cameo appearances 
I'll just say this about episode six of season two of The Bear. John Bernthal, Jamie Lee Curtis, okay, or, or a couple of them. And um, it's not like a lot of shows where there's cameos. It's just in and out. This is hardcore, intense acting in that episode. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But uh, uh, really good season of The Bear, season two. If you haven't seen season one, check that out and get caught up. Season two, really good stuff. I'll tell you, if you want to see cameos, that show, Dave, I watch. I don't know if you've tried it yet. Have you yeah. ever seen it? I, I, I need to get more into it. Dude, I'm telling you, his cameo, his last season finale had Rachel McAdams, Brad Pitt, and Drake. Wow. You're talking about a wide variety. I love the show. And I got, you know, Charles Powers, a knucklehead who we love, who does our rankings. Here's a good friend of mine. He won't watch it because he don't like his movie because he kind of right. He's kind of a comedian. You know, he's kind of a weird Al Yankovic writer to some degree with his music. But the show's fantastic. I mean, the show's good. It has depth to it, which you wouldn't expect. It has talent to it. It has great characters, especially after season one. It starts developing people. And Dave turns out to be a lot deeper than his, uh, his, uh, his, his, uh, I guess, uh, Weird Al rap stuff that people don't like. But another good show for cameos. But yeah, we're about to get into beef. We just finished the horror show called From. That's mm. a new one. I guess it's on MGM Plus, but it used to be called Epic. I went out of the country, came back, and every day. Everything changed. Yeah, I was coming back expecting BOL to have a different day. I, I was like, what's happening here? But um, but it's a really good show if you're looking for a horror show. I know Stephen King uh, is a big fan of We finished that, so Beef's next. Along with, have you seen the Davy Jones, Daisy Jones show? I have not. Dude, that's up. That's you. That's Travis Ryder. I oh, have, wow. I watched the first episode last night. It's what's on, that on? It's on Prime, dude. It's kind of, it's about... And my wife told me she that she had read somewhere it might be about uh, Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac. I don't know. If oh. I haven't looked into that, but it's on uh, Prime. Yeah, I can tell you what I haven't watched anymore of The Idol. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that last time. We quit The Idol. But this, what's weird is when I looked up the, the female who's playing the lead, Daisy Jones, I kept looking saying, she's so familiar. Like, I know her. Well, dude, I, when I looked her up, because I couldn't place her, and I never would have been able to place her. When I looked her up, it's Elvis's granddaughter. Huh. Yes, Lisa Marie's uh, Lisa Marie's daughter, and her name is uh, Riley Keough, K-E-O-U-H. she get caught up in that estate deal with uh, Silla? Well, that's the problem. Mike, I don't think Remember so. That? She's 34, but I feel like that's where I probably saw her face in those photos. After Lisa Marie died. Yeah, that's probably when I saw her face. But she, uh, we watched episode one. It's got that old. What's the show about the kid who tours with the band Billy Crudup? Oh, almost famous. Yeah, almost famous. It's got that vibe. And I know me and you. Be the dog. Yeah, it's yeah. got it's it's got that vibe. We watched that with my my daughter. Is a like I looked up. I mean, it's crazy. And I might have mentioned this to you before, but I looked up and like she was like I'd hear her in the bathroom. And she's playing like Stevie Nicks and she's playing Billy Joel and she's into all this old music that I she, love. She's all, she's all right with me. Yeah. yeah. I, I was surprised to have like, and I don't, I don't influence my kids because you know, you can't say I love Billy Joel and Tupac, which is literally like mm-hmm. who's your favorite artist. 
my branch, my, my artist branch is pretty wide. So uh, not really so much gender specific, but I was proud of her. But yeah, that's definitely a show you should give a run. That first check that out. That first episode set it up nice. Yeah, it's crazy when your kids, it kind of comes full circle with you and things like music because, you know, a band I followed pretty intensely 30, 35 years ago and, and still had paid attention to and listened to. Uh, our youngest, because of John Mayer, got me back into the dead. So like dead and company now with John Mayer, probably seen them four times in the last four years. And it's just because as you kind of pointed to with your daughter. Um they bring you back around to stuff um, that, that maybe you weren't paying as much attention to before, but uh, you're right. They'll bring you back to shows and movies and stuff. Yeah. You know, like I remember my second stunt, all of a sudden he got into all the, all the gangster Godfather movies. So we're able to go through all that, the Scorsese's and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it gives me another excuse to watch it. You know what I mean? Not that I need one, but it's always good to say, oh, I'm watching it for the kid. Absolutely. Um, Let's get in the mailbag, Tim. It's time, man. The roundtable mailbag, which we always have for you there at BamaOnline.com. And we'll start with young Skywalker this week, Tim, who asks, which OV weekend will be the most fruitful for commitments in the month of July? Was there a weekend or a stretch in June of official visits that might prove most beneficial to Alabama when the announcements start to flow? I think it might be spread out a little bit. Um, I think you can bookmark as a, at least a, you know, a chance was that uh, June 16th where they had, uh, had Demarcus Riddick, you know, who's uh, committed to Georgia. He's looking at Bama. He's looking at Auburn. We feel like Bama's a good shape. Auburn feels like they're in it. A little bit, and then you've got Sterling Dixon was big. That's not a commitment, but it was a recommitment. He shut down his recruitment, uh, so that was big. You also had Daniel Hill on campus, who Bama's in the top two with him, and um, you know pushing hard. That's a weekend where you can look, kind of locking up some guys, making an impression on some guys uh, in state wise. It was if you look at it overall, it was pretty spread out though. I mean, you had guys coming in, and they kind of like brought them in. Like, you know, one official weekend, they had Arian Hampton. He's a Texas wide receiver who's committing sometime this month, maybe within the next month, and he's uh, looking at Bama and Texas right now it's between those two schools. They also brought in Amari Jefferson, who I think Bama's battling Georgia and Tennessee for a wide receiver from Tennessee, and they also brought in Rico Scott. So they kind of, like, pulled them together and brought him in a little bit. I don't think intentionally, but a little bit they brought him in based on um, – the position. So we saw that too with some defensive linemen last week. But I think overall there'll be a trickle effect. I know what I know what Luke the Skywalker's asking about. It used to be remember back in the day you'd have those official visitors with like sixteen guys that were the top targets. They'd bring them all in once. I think they do a better job now because of the summer of spreading it out spreading it out a little bit more. There you go, young Skywalker. Appreciate the question. Tide Tide in the round table mailbag asks did the Javon Quinterly news come as a surprise to the Alabama staff? If not, was, is there a backup plan in place? Um, I do think it came as a surprise because I think they had already, they already felt that they had locked it down. Um, that they'd already went through this. You know what I mean? It's, you know, they'd already went through 
whether he was leaving or not, he agreed to stay. So when he did, and the fact, if what I was told is true, that he went in the portal before he talked to Nate, then I definitely will say it was a surprise. And no, that's uh, <clears throat> what we talked about earlier. There's, you know, it puts him in a bad position because there's really, you know, you're really behind the eight ball with being able to chase after guys to fill that role. Yeah, an interesting part of this, too, is that Javon's brother uh, is a part or was is a part of the Alabama men's basketball team as a walk on. Uh, but there was that dynamic involved as well. Uh, we mentioned Joe Toussaint, the guard from West Virginia, as being on record as to being contacted here in the last little bit by Alabama in the wake of this Javon Quinterly situation. We'll see how that goes. And of course, we'll keep you updated on all that right there with us at BamaOnline.com. So as we move into the mailbag a little bit deeper here, Tim, um, Dark Star Crashes asks, do you guys think NIL money is more or less or an equally significant factor in recruitments versus the last two years? Seems it was playing a bigger part then, and it seems more of the top 300 will have committed this year without much discussion of NIL values. What do you guys think about that? Thank you. Thank you, Dark Star Crashes. Um, yeah, good question. For me, I think, one, the NIL became like a boogeyman right away where everybody was going to get millions of dollars. Everybody had a war chest and schools do have money. There's no doubt about it. But it started so quick. A lot were still just getting their collective going. We heard million dollar signing. And I do think there are deals, um, NIL deals that pay handsomely to, to some of these athletes and a lot of it, like Arch Manning. I mean, I don't know what NIL deals he's got, but that's it. Doesn't have to be Texas related. If you're a if you're a New Orleans uh, uh, a guy who owns a car lot, you'd want his name on it, right? If you're an Austin guy, you'd want his name on it. So some of them are earning this, like Bryce Young. They're earning the NIL. It's not all just a just a carrot to get a kid to the school. I think what I've learned in these two cycles. And when we have Andrew Bone on here, I'd be interested to hear his take, too. Um, I think that, like, a lot of – there's kids that are straight NIL, and they let it know early, and they go out. And that's their prerogative. Let them go out, get what I want, and I'm not faulting them for that. And then I think there's other kids that know they want to go to school, and they're torn between school A is offering me X and school B is offering me Y. You know, and that might be three times the first school, so they have to make a decision. But often we're seeing the first school try to match that. And all this is weird because they're not even supposed to do it till they're on campus. Um, so uh, I think it is an effect, but I think that the schools, some schools have drawn a line in the sand. I still feel like Bama and Georgia are two of the schools that are trying to, trying to two of the bigger name schools, I should say. In Ohio State, I haven't heard a lot of NIL talk with them. So I'm assuming they're trying to keep it relative because you still – Whatever's in that treasure chest, whatever's in your wallet still has to take care of 85 kids on campus, for instance. You know, they're, they're, you know you've got to take care of those guys. They've all, got to, they've all got to get a piece. So I think it does affect them. Some kids are just straight going to the highest guy, and they'll let you know it. But um, I don't think there's a clear cut. But I don't – I mean, I don't feel there's an instruction manual for the NIL. Do you? No, and there was always the other side of this of – the perspective of the major donor 
Now, you're already hitting some of these major donors for facility upgrades and, and things like that within your athletic department. Then you're right. going to come back around with your collective and hit them again for significant contributions to the war chest. Um, you're hearing more and more about donor fatigue now that we've got a couple of different mouths to feed, right? From the NIL and collective and facilities and, um, you know, that race that you have uh, that's still going on very much in big time collegiate athletics. So uh, I would think that it, it, it's not as it doesn't line up with the valuations as much. I, I think the valuations come from the right place, especially when you consider social media presence and impact and those type of things. But at the end of the day, uh, there's the other side of it, of what's real in terms of the war chest and the money. Uh, that that a lot of these places are able to kind of put together. Hey, Tim, uh, before we let you get out of here, we know you need to go. Ronnie Bismuth asks in the roundtable mailbag, assuming Alabama still feels good about Grant Nelson, question yeah. mark? I think as far as where he's going, I think Alabama feels good. I mean, the rest is uncertainty. You're trying to work out probably with North Dakota State, and, you know, the academic side. So, I mean, we've been, you know, the thing about it is, and we mentioned this early, is that when a guy hits the portal and you really don't have a lot of time to research and now they're doing the research that it, ideally you would do before you got to the, you know, the, you do the dating before the marrying, but in the portal, because it happens so quick, <laughs> you know, a lot of times you're married to the, to the prospect and then you're trying to figure out everything else. So I do think it's a, uh, I do think it's a wait and see, and hopefully we've been told this time this week. It's Tuesday. Um, I'm certainly curious to see, and I think he's a hell of a player. I think it's a. It, this has got to be a major, you know, headache for him even dealing with it. So, by the way, before we go, I was checking ESPN before we left. Speaking of how crazy the portal is, and Tennessee's reliever Chase Burns hit the portal. Yeah. So big name, big monster. So it's going to happen to everybody, you know. I think the. Uh, that's kind of a surprise. I mean, he's 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 hitting triple digits up there. So I think you're seeing basically a version of free agency in college baseball right now. Everybody's griping about basketball and football, but to me, baseball seems the absolute worst of them all. Yeah, uh, I think Burns had been moved to the bullpen around midseason, and uh, you know that kind of pre pre previewed the the move here and. Uh, but yeah, immensely talented dude uh, for that Tennessee pitching staff, no doubt about it. Well, Tim, always a lot of fun. You're always very informative. Uh, we always kind of just go all around the board here on T. Watson TR, but uh, look forward to doing it again real soon, my man. Yeah, absolutely. Had a good time, and we'll see you guys on the message board, the round table, and uh, we appreciate the questions. I don't think I said that last time, but we do. Absolutely. Questions you bring and uh, keep bringing them. Bring them hard. We'll answer them. We ain't scared. We ain't scared. And you shouldn't be either of that $1 for six months deal that we still have going there at BamaOnline.com. Not a lot of time left on that one. So you need to make it happen. Come join us at BamaOnline.com. As Tim said, the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. Love to hang out with you there. Tim, thanks again, man. Uh, you got it, man. See you next week. Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.